We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 17. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's just pray. Father, we're so grateful for your Holy Spirit given to us, that you've not left us as orphans, but you've come to us. We just ask you, as we look at your word now, that you will bring it to life for us, and you'll encourage and enlarge our faith and confidence in you. Amen. So the last few weeks, we've been looking at the armor of God, noting that we need armor because we have an enemy who is fighting against us. Not flesh and blood, not people, but rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. God's enemy, the devil, hates the church and he hates you. And he's out to get us. And he doesn't fight fair, he doesn't fight politely, and he's not called an evil power for no reason. He is strong, he is evil, he is powerful. So God has given us armor. Armor that we can stand in. Armor that will protect us. Armor that will guard us. Armor that will able, enable us, as Jesus overcame him in the cross, so we can overcome in the power of that cross of Jesus. It says, uh, Paul writes earlier in Ephesians 1.21, Jesus was raised from the dead and is now far above every rule, authority, and power in heaven and on earth. Jesus has been exalted to the very highest place. And last week, we looked at the belt and the breastplate. Um, this week, to help you remember, the message is shh. Okay? So just go shh. So all week, you will remember the shh. And they stand for the shoes, the shield, the sword, and the helmet. Shh. 
it's in the wrong biblical order, but that didn't work. <laughs> Shoes, shield, short sword, and helmet. So Paul says, stand firm then, and then he goes on, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, fortunately, Paul, Paul wrote quite obscurely here. <laughs> Just watching you look at the shoes, I feel a bit too free and easy today. I can just see lots of you thinking, which pair would I like? <laughs> I, I, I inevitably like the, the red ones, <coughs> as opposed to the red ones. <laughs> It always amazes me. You see, the, B the BBC women newsreaders, when they stand up to read the news, they're always in really high heels. And I'm like, why? They're not easy to walk in, are they? It's like, why have you just got to stand there? It's like, you're not going to look any taller, any shorter. Why not just wear some plimsolls? Anyway, that's <laughs> just beside the point. I was once at a conference, and most of us were camping, um, basically in a field. And most of us were very wet because it was raining from the day we started till the day we finished. It was just, we used to have a river outside our tent. We all dug ditches to pour the water out. Um, and we were very near Brighton. And in the evening, people who weren't camping would come from Brighton to the conference. And one of my delights was I was stewarding from the car park to the tent. Now between the car park and the tent was nothing other than a completely muddy field. That was just drenched. We'd put some straw down to try and cover it and make it look bright. And then you'd get these wonderfully dressed ladies get out of the car in their high heels. And only one or two of them asked me, why are you smiling? Because <laughs> I knew what they were going to have to walk across. And I knew most of them wouldn't make it. <laughs> I had a pretty good chance that about 30% of them would start, turn around and go home again. Because they just had the wrong shoes. And part of our armour is having the right shoes. You want shoes that grip the world in which we live in. A world uh, shoes that aren't going to just slip away on the ice. Shoes that are going to be strong when it gets muddy and slippery. Shoes that are comfortable. They're not going to give you blisters. They're not going to crush your feet up. You want the right shoes for the job. And Paul says these shoes are the gospel of peace. Now, he's, he's written it a little bit obscurely. So it's partly shoes of the gospel that you have and partly shoes of the gospel that you use when you're walking to proclaim it to the world about you. But part of our armor is to know the good news of Jesus, that we were full 
of sin and rebellion. We turned our back on God. There was no way that we could earn our way back to God, no matter how good of works we did, no matter how hard we tried, no matter how many times we read the Bible, no matter how much we prayed every day. We could never do enough to get back to God. And the gospel is, so God came down to us in Jesus. And Jesus bore all the guilt. He paid the entire price. He broke the curse that was over us and said, now you're my child. As we respond in turning back to God and saying, God, we can't do it. We need you. We need Jesus. We need your forgiveness. We need you to pay the cost. He does it and we walk free as his people. No matter what is happening in the world, if we are in those shoes, trusting in the gospel, we will be firm-footed. And not only will we be firm-footed, but we will have a phenomenal message to give to the world in which we live. A world that is hurting, a world that is separated from one another, a world that needs reconciliation with God and one another. And part of our armour is to have good shoes. Part of the reason that the Roman army was so successful in all that it did was it equipped its soldiers with good shoes. And too many other... You know what it's like when you're on a pebbly beach and you haven't got any shoes? It's bad enough in shoes if it's steep because you're sort of slipping on. But when you've got not, not got any shoes and you're just treading on each of the pebbles and you're trying not to sort of hit a sharp one, and yet everywhere you put your feet, there are only sharp stones. And then some little grandchild who's got special rubber shoes comes charging past you. Catch up, granddad! I said, yeah, right. <laughs> I haven't got the shoes, and I'm not getting the ones I brought onto the beach wet. You have to, you have to tread so delicately. But when we know the gospel, when we know the truth of it, we can stride out come what any ground next one shield it's called the shield of faith oh. Hebrews 11 verse 1 I clearly didn't press save when I altered this now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The, Romans, the Roman shield, shield was just sort of basically like this. It was huge. And it protected the individual soldier. It was made of wood, metal, and it was coated with leather, which was often soaked before a battle, so that if people foot fiery darts, it would actually be extinguished. That was a Roman shield. It protected from the flaming, flaming darts of the enemy. It, ex it extinguished them. And in one account of a, of a battle, one soldier counted 212 arrows, which seems to have gone down in the Roman book of Guinness records for the number of arrows in a shield in a battle. 212 but none of them got through to him. He lived the days. 
What are the fiery darts of the enemy? They're lies. You're not good enough. <coughs> I was, I count it a privilege now. Um, after I've been a Christian nearly two years, I went to London City Mission um, to do a year of voluntary work with the London City Mission. And it was particularly proclaiming the gospel. And when I got there, I was a bit surprised because I discovered there were lots of other Christians than the ones that I knew. Um, and they were mostly much more, much older Christians. They knew their Bibles better. They were much more mature. Um, and I was like, how do I fit in here? And after I'd been there for two, three, four weeks maybe, I woke up one night and I was just assaulted with so many, you know, what are you doing here? Actually, you're not really a Christian. You've only, you've only been in church for a year and before that you didn't know Christians went to church. You, you're not good enough. You, look at the things you think about. Look, how, look at your envy and your jealousy. Look at all this. And it was like just thought after thought after thought. And I was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. how do I get home to Hastings? How do I get home to Hastings? But we had the Spirit of God within us. And he began coming back and said, hang on a minute, what are you basing your Christianity on? Is it on what you do, on what you are, where you've come from, or are you going to base it on what Jesus did? And literally for two weeks, every night, for hours, I was arguing with the devil. Remember, I mean... He won quite often in the, first two week, in the first week and a bit. Second week, I began to get the hang of it. It was like, look, Dave, these are all the sins you have committed. It goes on for a long time. And at first, I would argue back. Yes, but don't you understand? This is why I committed this one. This is why I committed this one. This is why I committed that one. And uh, then I'd fight back. Well, yes, but it wasn't as bad as that person. It wasn't as bad as that person. And I would just try and fight back and defend the fact that I'd done things wrong in the sight of God. And then suddenly I realized, God just said to me, just admit it. So one night, as he listed all these lists, I started adding to them. So actually, you've missed this one. You've missed the time when I was really angry with my sister and I threw her out the window. You missed that one. Weren't you looking? And uh, yeah, when I upset this person through what I said, you missed that one. And I started adding to the list. And it just got longer and longer and longer and longer. And I think he thought, hey, great, we're winning here. And then I just said, so, I think there's still some more, but we'll stop there. You've got to understand that is my list of sin. But you've got to understand that between that and me is the cross of Jesus. And that lot stay on the cross and they ain't part of me. And suddenly, I was free of it. Because I'd been able to recognize in faith that Jesus really had forgiven me. And it was really really helpful to me to go through those two weeks because it established a faith that it wasn't about me, it was about Jesus. Now this shield is a shield of faith. 
Now, there's lots of different types of faith. We've touched on some of them already. There is the totally unrealistic faith. That is, I've been forgiven, God's with me, nothing's going to go wrong now. I'm going to be well provided for, every prayer is going to be answered instantly, every healing is going to happen immediately, any wall will just fall before me, a giant can stand there, but he will be slain. But we forget that Jesus had to go through the cross. <laughs> it's just totally unrealistic. We are called Jesus says to us quite clearly, you are called to suffering. You are called to difficulty in this world. But do not fear, I have overcome the world. The end story is going to be true. But there are going to be some tough times. Then there's what in our family we call constipated faith. That is like this. I believe you've got, I believe you've got, I believe you've got. Oh, I believe you, I believe you, I believe you, I believe you, I believe you. But nothing comes. <laughs> and it's really where you're trying to believe far more than you actually hope for even. You're just way ahead of yourself. And you're just trying desperately, desperately hard to believe something that you don't really believe, but you believe that you should believe it, therefore you're trying to believe it. And you screw your face up and you try as hard as you come, can, but nothing happens. Then there's what I call the sort of basics of faith, the things we've been talking to before. We've been forgiven, we've been cleansed, We've been placed in the family of God. We've been adopted into his family. We're now his children. We're now under the umbrella of his protection. Nothing will touch me that God won't know about and won't go through him. And I can stand there with my shield. Come what may, I am a soldier of Christ. I am in Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places in him. Nothing actually can prevail if I just believe. Then there's what I would call maturing faith, which is a step on from constipated faith. <laughs> Paul talks in Romans about whether you prophesy, whether you lead, whatever you're doing, doing it, do it according to the measure of faith that you have and faith should grow faith should grow you start off well this will be my story you start off I've come to trust God and he's changed my life I can't explain it I don't really know what's happened but all I know is that I now know God and I know that he's forgiven me he's given me a new life now how do, I, how do I work that out? And you are like, like a little, little baby trying to crawl. And then you learn a little bit more about all that God has given to you. You learn, learn more about the, about the Holy Spirit, how he works within you. And you sort of become, take baby steps and you're a bit doddery and every so often you have to put your hand out to hold on to somebody. 
and you're learning about how to walk with God, how to use spiritual gifts, how to believe that God will provide for you when you, when you pray for finance, when you pray for he- healings, when you pray for God to protect you, when you pray for the opportunities to speak your faith. And then slowly you grow up and you grow up and you grow up and you grow up and faith should be maturing and growing and developing. Now God has promised that he will never test us beyond what we can endure. So some of the tests I've had as an older Christian would have absolutely crushed me as a young Christian. But God allowed some things as a young Christian to come against, come against me, some of the lies, some of the <coughs> deceptions, etc. But that helped me to grow strength, which moved me on and on. So I can understand how I can believe God for more and more and more. And then there is the gift of faith, which, which can come, come to anyone at any stage in their life, where God gives a gift where you just know God is going to do it. We, I think I've told this story before. We were, once had a prayer meeting at my previous church and we were just battling to... We, we were running a kids' club, and it was getting up to 100, and it just wouldn't go over 100, wouldn't go over 100. And, uh, so, and one night, we were praying as a church, and we were praying, God, give us 100, give us 100, give us 100. And then it just went quiet, and we knew, we knew we had our 100. And for the next seven years, our kids' club never went under 100 kids, because that night we knew. Um, in reality I've probably only experienced it sort of four or five times um, this is not a suggestion this one but we once had our car wrecked by an irate member someone who got very upset with us anyway or got upset with me particularly and so they decided the best way of dealing with this was smashing up our car which they did very very well so we lost the car, <coughs> and uh, Leslie and I thought, well, that's a bit of a nuisance, but actually we don't need a car. Um, and then about three months later, we both woke up, and we thought, we need a car again. It's time to get a car. So we prayed for two days. And then I remember thinking, we've got our car. We've got it. And a couple of days later, someone phoned up and said, I'd like to buy your car. I knew that God had sorted it. We both knew at the same time that suddenly God had given it to us. And although we didn't have the car, for a couple of days, I didn't, didn't walk around Bermondsey going, I've got a car. Is it automatic or not? But we knew inside ourselves that we had a car. And then a couple of days later, out of the blue, someone who didn't really know our situation phoned up and said, I'd like to buy you a car. And the funny thing is, never brought a car since. People have always done it for us. It was that gift of faith. And for some people, <laughs> for some people it's a gift of faith for healings. It might be a particular healing. It might be for healing generally. I know... <coughs> Terry Virgo, the sort of founding father of New Frontiers, of which we're a part of, um, he would say, 
if you've got a short leg, if you've got a bad back, I will pray for you and you will be healed. And he just saw it time and time and time again. And he didn't even have to think about it. He just knew it was going to happen. He had some sort of gift of faith for that particular area of healing. And uh, you could just watch legs grow as he prayed for them. The shield of faith we have, we don't want unrealistic, we don't want constipated faith. We want that basic maturing faith without pourings every so often of the gift of faith so that we can stand before the enemy, his lies, his treachery, everything that he throws at us to bring us down. And we're not standing just on our own, but we're standing together as a church, row after row after row after row of shield, shields. Sword of the Spirit, the third S, is the one offensive piece, offensive piece of equipment. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the reason it's good to know our Bibles, so that the Spirit can use that in our attacks. There's one particular, one particular verse which I absolutely love. It's um, when we, as we move into more and more of the spiritual world together, we will begin to see different sorts of manifestations of um, them as they try to attack us and bring us down, but we will just stand against them. And this verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 15, I just love when I'm praying for people. <coughs> Starts off with a bit of reality. When you were dead... In your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. That's that list of sins which just keep adding to. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And then this verse. Verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I'll read that again and you can go, Amen, Hallelujah, or that's rubbish, Dave, you know. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. It's in very small black writing. <laughs> which on my computer when I did it was in big writing and the verse was underneath it, but it obviously didn't transfer. Um, it says, I'll read it again. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, went into the grave, rose again. He said across the whole of eternity, I've won. I have brought forgiveness and freedom 
and healing and a new community of my people on earth. You've tried to nail me to a cross and you thought you would win. All you've done is nailed all their sin, all their wrongdoing, everything that stood against them to the cross. You've killed me. I've carried it to the grave and I've left it in the grave and I've walked through and I've walked out and behind me is a whole host of people that are as free as I am and have now with me made a public spectacle of all your hatred and all that you tried to do in destroying my good work by creating a humanity to worship me. That's what God has done for us. That's what he's done for us. And finally, the helmet of salvation that protects our minds. All of these, the shoes, the shield, the sword, and the helmet, are about why we read our Bibles and pray. Because it's in this book, it's on your phone, your tablet, your computer, that we take in the Word of God. We fill our hearts with it, but we fill our minds with it. And when people tell you no, you're no good, when people say Christianity is dead, when people say, why are you just a bigoted individual because you believe truth? When the devil comes at you with hundreds of lies and deceptions and depressions and tries to bring you down, you have a head full of the knowledge. Actually, I have a father in heaven who created the world and he's spoken my name taken me into his family, clothed me in clothes of righteousness and equipped me with the empowering of the Holy Spirit so that I am fully protected and armed to win the battle. But it is a battle. It is a war. It does involve suffering it does involve challenge and difficulty. Sometimes not really understanding why wasn't that prayer answered? Why was this prayer answered so quickly and that one's been so delayed? Why can't I just like everybody? Why do they wind me up? Why does this situation just push me backwards? But through it all, God has given us the armor that we need. And in all honesty, it's the armor that we will need in the days ahead. If we are to see what is in our hearts, the transformation of the world in which we are. To join with his people across our nation, to regain the biblical values that we need. To go into the world where Christians are still, in, still um, imprisoned. See, you know, I learned a fact this week, which I think is um, appropriate for us to know. 
there are more Christians last year in Nigeria who were killed for their faith than in the rest of the world put together. There were more Nigerians put to death for their faith than in the entire rest of the world put together. Over half of Christians martyred were Nigerians last year. That comes from Open Doors, the organization that looks at it. That's quite a fact for us with so many of our brothers and sisters from Nigeria here. We want to be part of changing nations as well as changing the UK. And we will be in a battle, we will be in a war. But, as Mark said, the end is certain, sure. And as Paul would say, where's the sting of death? It takes me merely closer to God. God bless. Let's stand and I'll pray.